back to Mark chapter 9 this morning. Father, we thank you that we can come to you. We thank you that you hear us, Lord. We are your children. We have the right by your son's work to come into your throne room and speak with you. To worship you, to magnify you, Lord. What a pleasure to do that today, Lord. I pray that what we've said and sung so far, Lord, has been magnifying and glorifying to you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you do not bless unrighteousness. It is a reminder, Lord, as we see the world around us, as we see sin abounding, you do not bless wickedness, but you do bless righteousness. You do bless those who strive to live for you, strive to die to self daily, Lord. We pray that we would be encouraged to follow you, no matter what our heart and mind sometimes lead us to, Lord, that we would seek to to treasure you, to dig deep roots by your living word and and feed on those truths, Lord. Father, we thank you that you delight in those things. You delight in our love for you. You delight in our love for your son. You don't delight in ungodliness. You, You delight in those things that you have given us to set us free from that. And so, Lord, help us to be those who delight in your word and in your truth. Thank you that we can confess our sins, Lord, still, even as Christians. Though we know you've paid for our past, present, and future sins, we confess them, Lord, and you are faithful and just to forgive them, the Bible tells us. So, Lord, may we be individuals and a congregation that confesses sin, knowing that you faithfully forgive us. Thank you that you are our rock and you are our assurance, Lord. We can stand on this unmovable rock. This foundation that is so sure, as we were reminded as we sang. Thank you for not moving. Thank you for not being like the shifting shadows of the world and its religions. But we know exactly what you want from us. You want us to believe only in your Son through his word. And we can have an eternal relationship with you, Lord. Father, deepen us now. Strengthen us as we turn to your word. We pray for those who are suffering. Those who have lost family members this week. Those who are going through difficulties, Lord, we pray that you would encourage them. Many are listening now. Give them strength, Lord. Be with those who travel this week. Keep our people safe, Lord. Return us together as we worship you and seek to serve you as a group of believers called Riverbend Church. Lord, bless this time now. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to return to Mark chapter 9, 1 through 13. Um, It is a, a deep passage, and it is one that takes a little bit of treading through, uh, plotting our way through this to understand this text. We have seen many of the miracles in the life of Christ, and now we're in some of this teaching of his, this instruction as he's showing his disciples amazing things. I was thinking this week uh, again about the kindness of God, and I, I think understanding the kindness of God, now stay with me on this, is a mark of a true believer. In fact, it's, it's more than just a mark of a believer. It's a mark of a maturing believer. Understanding the kindness of God is difficult at times. And you say, well, why is that? Because we're so innate to the things around us. Case in point, if you, have, if you were raised with a heavy-handed father, sometimes you look at God that way. That when you sin, you expect him to strike you or, or to be angry with you, Right? Maturing Christians are able now to fight those presuppositions and say, no, God, you are not that type of God. That is not why the Bible describes you. You are a God who is kind. 
You love me like no other father could ever love me. And I ask you, God, to help my unbelief when I fall into those traps. That's a maturing believer. He, and, and you realize that he's patient with you. One of the things I, I love about studying the life of Christ is the relationship between his disciples and him. A lot to learn from that. Mostly, as we watch Lord Jesus, very patient with these men. In this text, they don't get what he's going to do. They see there's a display, but they still struggle with what he's about to do. And yet our Lord is very patient. One of the things we're going to understand today is he does things knowing that you're going to understand them later. Is that true in your life? That passage teaches those things. It teaches that he is going to help you understand things later. If you will continue to pursue him, he will help you later understand why he did what he did. And that's exactly what's taking place in this passage. Let me go back to the first three points. We'll work them one by one. Just a quick review, and then we'll take off on those last three that we didn't get to last week. But number one, the, unveiled, the unveiling of the sun in the preview of the kingdom. We saw that this verse is not just a standalone verse, not chapter 9, verse 1. It's often used that way, but it can't be. That's, that's not the narrative. It's laying in a context, a very important context. And Jesus Christ has gathered people. He summoned crowds around him in verse 34, chapter 8. And he summoned his disciples here. And here he begins to say to them in verse 1, Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing right here. Very present, very immediate context, right? Who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Now here we understand that he is... He, we see, because we understand the whole context, he's talking about his transfiguration that's coming. And even more important, that's going to give light to his resurrection. And we see that he's going to take three men as witnesses to who, what he's about to do, and those leaders among leaders, and show himself in his full glory. And he promised them, look, I've been talking about death. I've been talking about dying. I've been talking about resurrections. I know you don't get this, but I want you to know you're not going to die till you see this. I'm going to show you something that is going to give you strength for your coming ministry, for the trial that you're going to have to go through as I suffer and die. I want you to see something that will keep you running for the rest of your life. I'm going to show you my glory. And brothers and sisters in this room, that's what Jesus did when he saved you. He showed you his glory. That's what keeps you going. And if you're hearing you say, Scott, I'm on, I don't know that I'm saved. I'm not nearly as excited about Christ as you are. You know, I'm, I'm a little weird, but you should be excited. And, and, and we've seen his glory. We know who he is. We've studied his word, and God has opened our minds and hearts to the work of the Spirit, and we have seen the unveiled glory of Christ through his word. And though life is difficult, it is difficult. There's trials and testings that we go through, difficult times. We live in a fallen world. It keeps us coming back over and over because we've seen his glory. Have you? Have you seen his glory? Do you know who he is? And here, he is about to do that. And he says, look, you're not going to see death. I'm going to show you the kingdom of God. And he is the kingdom of God. Don't miss that. They thought the kingdom of God was stamp out our, our, our enemies and let us sit in your left and right. Let us do all that stuff. He goes, wait a minute, I'm the kingdom. <laughs> you don't understand that. 
There's no kingdom without me. I will rule and reign and so forth. And so he is going to display who he is. And this coming power has to do with the resurrection. It's the context of this, this whole passage. If he doesn't get out of the grave, there's not only a kingdom, there's death for all. So this is the power he's speaking of. I'm going to beat it, and you're going to see it. And you're going to be my witnesses for here and now in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You're going to see that and you're going to tell everybody. We've seen the resurrected Lord and here's how you have a relationship with him. That's the Great Commission. So there's great context in this verse. It's not a standalone verse. It's in the middle of this. And what a beautiful preview of the kingdom it is. Number two, as we review this real quickly, Jesus is the pure revelation of the glory of God. He's the pure revelation of the glory of God. Notice verse 2 and 3, six days later. So you can see it's laying in a context. This is where this whole unveiling is going to happen. Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and brought them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his garments became radiant, exceedingly white, as no laundered on earth can whiten them. Well, here, right along with the context, right along the promise that they wouldn't see death, six days later, he has these three men, these leaders among leaders, these Old Testament witnesses of this event with him in his presence. And here before them, he shows who he really is. And in essence, God drops the human veil for a moment. And they stare at God himself. Oh, I would love to see the replay on this. But guess what? You will. This is who you'll see. Whether you, when you meet Christ by death or by rapture, this is who you will see. This is who John speaks of. You, keep your finger there. Just turn to John chapter 1. Just over two books real quick because I want you to see this. I want you to make sure you understand that this is what John's talking about. John's Gospel chapter 1. Verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Well, the Word's Christ. We know that he's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. He's always existed. He's existed in equality with Christ, with God, because he was with God. He stood face to face. He shared the glory with God, and he is God. No matter whatever religion out there tells you that he isn't, he is. And you'll never live with him if you don't believe he's God. But look what he does in verse 14, drop down. Thinking of this context, think about the transfiguration. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is Jesus Christ, an incarnate living in the flesh among us. But then he says this, and we saw his glory. The glory, listen to this, as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And I think he's talking about his whole life and ministry, his resurrection and all of those things. But doubtlessly, he's talking about this event in Mark 9. Oh, we saw it. We saw it. I'm telling you, we saw God. And as you turn back to the text, you see in verse 3, we saw his garments radiant, exceedingly white. What a beautiful picture that was remember we looked in revelations last week revelation chapter 1 verse 16 that his face was like that of the sun shining in its full strength we are so human huh i mean we are aren't we try to get your mind around that for a moment let's go out there and stare at the sun for a minute so, so what did they do i mean that had to be 
You can't look directly into it. For that moment as, as Christ is unveiled before them, the brightness of his glory and person and all that he is comes out in this beaming Shekinah glory. And three men are there to witness it, to tell us. And they're, they're captivated with the rest of their lives. This is who they die for. This is who John is banished to the island of Patmos. This is who Peter is crucified upside down for. This captured them. And let me tell you, brothers and sisters, if he hasn't captured you yet with his glory, ask him to. Say, God, I'm not captured with your glory. I'm captured with finances and the world and all these things. Please capture me with your glory so I can speak like these men speak and so this pure veil this pure revelation of the glory of god was unveiled one last thought the bible tells us in revelation chapter 21 verse 23 that in heaven there is no need of a son because why this verse right here (laughs) that's pretty amazing that's who they're looking at see this is a precursor this is the trailer This is all that's coming because he's going to resurrect from the dead. And so we are enamored with him. Third, we just quote quickly review. We said, it would be good to be with Jesus when he is revealed. Look at verse 4 through 6. Then Elijah appeared to them along with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Yeah, it is. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, for he did not know what to answer. They were terrified. What an amazing little thought here, just quickly here, just the unveiling that's what's going on here. All of a sudden, Elijah is here, and Moses are here, and, and really, I'd said these men are dead last week, but I, I guess we think they were, but Elijah was taken up in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 11. He's walking with Elisha, and Elijah is all of a sudden just taken away, and the Bible says in that verse, 2 Kings 2, 11, that he was what? No more. <laughs> He was no more. Just his mantle lying there, and guess who picks it up? Elisha picks it up and says, okay, I'm the new prophet. I'm going to speak for God. And and brothers and sisters, boy, did Elijah here, did he speak for God. He spoke to God with a nation that God had done everything from. He'd rescued them out of Egypt. He had provided for them. He pushed their enemies out. He destroyed everybody in the path, and they turned on him. And Elisha said, "Go, go talk to them. Go tell them what I have to say. And they mocked him and mistreated him. And God took him home. And then Moses is there. <laughs> Moses, Moses strikes a rock twice. <laughs> I'd have kicked the rock, blown it up, and thrown it over the cliff. Because that hard-headed nation, people who know there's a God, who've seen the power, who believe, but yet won't follow anybody. Sound, does that sound familiar to anybody? Well, it's us. Moses strikes the rock, he takes the words of God into his own authority, and there he is not allowed to go in the promised land, he needs to die up on a mountain. And there the Bible says, in a very peculiar passage in Jude chapter 9, that there was a tussle, there was a wrestling over the body of Moses. Now here's my point. There in the transfiguration, here's two of their great patriarchs there, that they know are gone dead, gone, however it took place, they don't know, they're gone, but now here is their spiritual glorified persons right there. 
And one of the things I love about that as I studied it, I said, Lord, that was just a promise that the, those who have gone before us are still alive and recognizable. Isn't that cool? Your grandmother, who loved the Lord Jesus Christ, who's with the Lord, she's very recognizable. And God has given her a body that is uh, very, very functionable, and yet he will give her a new body like his in some time. Um, and yet, here they are, these glorified spiritual patriarchs that are there. They have victory over death. That's a great thing, right? The apostles are going, looking at these guys. Wow, I know these guys have been gone forever, and they're still alive. And they're great witnesses. And so here, this setup is amazing. Peter reacts, probably like we would, like, Lord, this is really cool. This is good for us to be there. It is good. So let us build some, some tabernacles, these places of comfort, these places of worship, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Hey, this is going to be great. And verse 6 tells us that he's saying all this because he's panicking. <laughs> you ever been somebody maybe that you've really admired, and all of a sudden they're right in front of you, and you start going, blah, 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 blah. I think that's what Peter's doing here. It's inspired, blah, 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 but it's that. Look, he's going, there's several things that are probably going through his mind. We've just seen the glorified Christ. This is the Messiah that we thought he was. We are now sure of that. And on top of that, this could be the kingdom. We got the Messiah. He's shining like the sun. We have the patriarchs that we have adored and, and have worshipped in a way because they've led us through such difficult times let's do this thing they're ready to go they want a kingdom before the cross and the frustration comes out of Peter in a way I, I don't even know what I'm talking about but I'm terrified but this is good let's build something let's do something here and I think you and I would have done the same thing I want to pick up in number four there in your notes. The father's unalterable plan triumphs over the emotions of his children. I was racing through some of this last week to, to hurry, but I want to slow down just for a moment and help you think through some of these as, as I've studied this. Verse seven, then a cloud formed overshadowing them. And the voice came out of the cloud, right? This is my beloved son, listen to him. And all at once they looked around and saw no one with them anymore except Jesus alone. I think I said this last week, but it's hard to get our minds around the emotions of this event. What you have been taught as a young boy and hear these disciples going to rabbinical school is that we win, the Messiah comes back, he crushes our enemies, and we go on to live forever. They were never taught about sin and in and outside of doing a list of things that you shouldn't do, and if you, don't, if you don't do those things, you need to offer sacrifices for those things. What was taught about the kingdom is we win, the bad guys die, let's go forward. And yet Jesus keeps talking about death. He keeps talking about resurrection. And so Peter looks at all this and he says, no death these men seem to have beat, beat death as Moses and Elijah here. The patriarchs are here. The enemies um, can be beat now. Jesus is shining like the sun. We can sit on his left and right. Let's start the kingdom now. 
And so there's an emotion here that comes out of followers of Christ, and particularly here out of Peter. Doubtlessly, he's looking at this going, this is it, this is it. This is the crown of the kingdom before the thorn of crowns. The Father has a perfect plan. Notice verse 7, a cloud forms around them, comes over them. It's just like Mount Sinai. It's about this time when Peter's wrestling through this. Here comes this cloud that just forms over this uh, mountain they're on. We, we think it's probably Mount Hermon uh, as, as probably the highest point there in Caesarea Philippi. And so this cloud fills around it. It's interesting, I just did a quick study just on cloud, and particularly in the Pentateuch, and how many times the cloud shows up and God's in it. It's an amazing thing. Just go back and look at it through Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and so forth. It's always talking about the glory of God. The person of God is there. The presence of God is with them. And, and this is what he says as the voice of God breaks through this and speaks. And I want to give you um, both Mark, Luke, and Matthew. And I've, and I've put it in my notes, taking what was said in all of those accounts into one. So this is what God actually said to Peter James and John, and ultimately to us. He said, this is my beloved son, my chosen one, with whom I am well pleased, listen to him. (laughs) Wow. I go, well, Lord, there's a four-point sermon right there. He's my beloved son. He's my elect one for this job. He is the chosen one for this. I am fully satisfied in my son, Listen to his word. That's what what God said. To the three men who are going to go out and preach the the messages where the church is going to be birthed, they're going to take on that first century, and God is going to use them. And and in essence, a little bit, it it was kind of like another rebuke to Peter, I think. Remember, Peter's wrestling with, I, I think the kingdom needs to be now. We got everybody in order. The sun is bright, shining here. Let's do this thing. And I think, again, God, in his very patient and kind way, is saying, Peter, you are thinking like a man. You're not setting your aspirations on my truths. God is talking to you. Listen to what Jesus is saying about his death and his resurrection. There's no other way. Now, I think Peter got it. I want you to turn to the text that Larry read to us. Go to Philippians, excuse me, 1 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1. I think that's where I had him read. 2 Peter chapter 1. And I want to show you the triumph over emotions, how truth triumphs over emotions. And they think this text well illustrates this. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. Now listen to what Peter says in his last letter. This is just shortly before he is hung on a cross upside down and dies for the cause of Christ. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Uh Uh-oh. Hmm. Is this text possibly speaking of this event? He says, look, we're, we're not following some cleverly devised tales. 
There's all kinds of tales out there. When you listen to religious people and religious organizations speak, um, outside of Christ alone, word alone, glory alone, faith alone believers, you can hear all kinds of myths and all kinds of crazy truths, that, uh, non-truths that come out of false teaching. Peter's saying, we're not following that stuff. You're not going to bury an idol in your backyard and your house will sell. <laughs> that kind of stuff. He says, look, when it was made known to us the power and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, we saw it firsthand. We saw this. What an amazing thought. I, I, love, to, I love to think about this. They witnessed it, and God did that for them so they could be witnesses to tell the whole world and to us what they saw. Look at verse 17. For when he received glory and honor, I think this is the unveiling of them, in, in the transfiguration, from God the Father, remember that was the cloud that came over and spoke, such as utterances as this was made to him by the majestic glory, and here's our phrase, this is my beloved with whom I am well pleased. He is speaking about that moment. Isn't that amazing? He has held on to that truth We've never seen Peter talk about that anywhere else. He did not bring it up during the, uh, the acts and, and the acts of the church being birthed and growth. This, this, this event is not remembered in any of those, but it's remembered in his last, his last letter. Verse 18, we ourselves heard the utterances. Not, not by somebody else. We ourselves, he's speaking to James and John and himself, heard the utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So we heard this. This is amazing. We were there. You can never tell us any different. We believe this. But look what Peter does. And this is why the word of God triumphs over the emotions. Because look, I wish I was on that mountain. <laughs> I'd be still talking about it. It's an amazing thing. Look what he does with this. Verse 19. So we have the prophetic, prophetic word literally more sure. Which, to which you do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your heart. So he says, look, we saw all this. We were there. We saw him transfigured. We saw him shining like the fullness of the sun. We saw the patriarchs. We saw all that. But you know what? We got something better. The word of God. Isn't that true? Do you think if we built a religion on what three men saw on that mountain, if it would last? We have all kinds of people come to our church. We plant churches out in the de Nevada desert out there. There's all kinds of crazy people out there. A guy showed up at my church one time and said, yeah, uh, I met with God out there. Um, he sent this holy angel, and, and he started telling me all these things. He said, so. <laughs> um, <laughs> it happens all the time. But Peter says, look, we got something better. We got the word of God. Notice he says, to which you would do well to pay attention as a lamp shining. What does that sound like? How about Psalms 119.105? The word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Isn't that what he's talking about? He goes, God, man, I wish I could see that scene. I do too, and I think we'll get the replay of it someday, but we have something better. And our dear friends that are caught up sometimes in charismatic movements that are caught up in the, the, the uh, emotional role of, of, of whatever they can grab onto, barking and laughing and crazy stuff that goes on. 
just leads them down a terrible path. In fact, they never find the right path because the path isn't lit because they don't have the word. That's why we preach the word here. That's why we work verse by verse through something, through the text. Whatever text we're in, we stay in that text because it lights the way for me. It shines a lamp in dark places. You ever been in a dark place? We're talking about Wednesday as we're working through Genesis, Genesis chapter 40. We talked about how God is with us in the dark places. Right here. Sometimes you just gotta bury your head in the truth and say, God, I cannot see where you're going, where you're taking me, but I'm gonna trust you. Then he goes on to tell us these great truths that look, but know this first of all. None of this Bible, none of this word of God, no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own, own intentions. Notice where it says no prophecy of, uh, is of a matter. The word is there is, is genomai. It means literally has come to be. No prophecy of scripture, no truth that was recorded for us has come to be on one's own interpretation. Peter isn't going, hey, I think this sounds good. I'm going to write it down. It may motivate them to give more. (laughs) He's saying this isn't from us. Verse 21, for no prophecy was ever made by the act of human will. I didn't come up with this. Isn't that amazing? You imagine at the end of his life, he's repenting stuff and he's going, maybe he's thinking this. (laughs) God wrote that through me. In 1 Peter, it tells us that they looked back to see what they had written to understand the grace and the timing of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, the prophets. So here's the point as you turn back to your Mark chapter 9 text is that Peter gets this. And as glorious as transfiguration was, he didn't hold on to that. He held on to the word of God. And sometimes some of us see some things. Uh, you know, we sit as missionaries and talk about things God has seen. They're amazing. But then we go right back to the word of God. That's where we stand. Look at verse 8 as you turn back to your text here. And all at once they looked around and saw no one with them except Jesus alone. Except Jesus alone. Matthew 17, 7, the parallel account says Jesus came up to them and touched them and said, get up and do not be afraid. Isn't that interesting? Get up. Why were they down? (laughs) Because of the glory of the Lord. They're on the ground going like this. Lord, it's good for us to be here. Let's make tabernacles. Let's worship you. I'm freaking out. And he kind of rattles them. He brings them out of this stupor and out of their fears and says, look, it's me. And look, this is, this is what I think he's doing here. I'm all you need. You don't need anything else but Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Five, fifth thought here. Christ was transfigured to prove his future victory over death. Christ was transfigured to prove his future victory over death. These are deep verses, aren't they? But we're having fun as we go through this. Look at 9 and 10. As they were coming down from the mountain, he gave them orders not to relate to anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man arose from the dead. They seized upon that statement, discussing with one another what rising from the dead meant. 
Oh, to see the replay again on this, walking down, right? Ten suggests that they just don't have an understanding of what the resurrection's about, right? Their, their faith is now confirmed. This is Jesus. This has got to be God. We've seen things that, uh, that we can't deny. He's shining like the sun. Um, this has got to be him. This would strengthen them. That, that test on the mountain there, that example on the mountain, would strengthen them to go through Christ's trial. And, and I don't think they'd ever doubted the identity of Jesus Christ again after that. I think that's what that did for them. But as they traveled down the mountain, think about it, doubtlessly they're talking with one another going, how do we tell the other guys what happened? Well, I mean, wouldn't you? I mean, Bartholomew's down there and Andrew and so forth. They're all down there. We got to tell them what happened. But the all-knowing Savior warns them to tell no one of the events of the transfiguration till after the resurrection. You see what the Lord's doing here. And he, he wanted no one to divert what he was doing. He said over and over in the Bible, as you've traced Jesus through the Gospels, he says, my hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. And then he'll say, my hour has arrived. He is dead on going for that hour that the triune God set down in eternity past when he would die in that time alone. And he will not be pushed aside from that. But, verse 10, we begin to realize that the transfiguration it really is about the resurrection. It's about victory over sin, Satan, and death. But the disciples still don't understand it. And, and, and yet, I think they looked back and, and they understood those things. Remember when Mary comes and says, I've seen the Savior, I've seen the Lord, I've seen the resurrected Lord. In reality, they probably could have said, they probably pieced it together later by the work of the Spirit and said, oh yeah, <laughs> We had already seen him too. They just had not put it all together. And that's because of lack of spirit. Let me show you a text, John chapter 16. I want you to understand this because uh, pneumatology, which is the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, is a very important understanding of what's going on with these guys. They are trying to handle everything through the rabbinical schools that they've been trained in about the coming of the, of, of the kingdom of God. They, they've been listening to Jesus' teaching, and they're, they're still trying to understand all this. Now, they had a difficulty because their presupposition said, the kingdom's coming, we're going to be on his left and his right. But they also had another problem. They were lacking the spirit of God. Just before Jesus' death, John 16 is in that week before, he's given them great instructions. Look at verse 12 with me, John 16. He says, I have many more things to say to you, but you can't hear them yet. You're not ready for this. I have many more things to tell you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. And he will glorify me, for he will take of mine and disclose it to you. Now think about this. All of that understanding of what the transfiguration was all about, there's a moment when the Spirit of God will fall upon these men and they will have this aha moment (laughs) on many issues, right? But the transfiguration being one of them going, that was what that was about. Because the Spirit of God brought that. And their presuppositions of the kingdom and their presuppositions about how things should happen and how they should have went and who gets what and when, when those things all take place, the Spirit of God will come and those presuppositions will fall off and they'll go, that's what he was doing. 
Oh, that, was, that must have been a cool event. And certainly the Spirit swept into them um, just before the Pentecost. And we watched Peter get up and preach a sermon in Acts chapter 2 like he knew the full story. Because he did. And that's what the Spirit of God does for us. And I, and I love that verse. It will go, you could read a little farther on and you can see how the Spirit of God helps these men understand the process of what was going on and relieves their grief. The Spirit relieves the grief of a believer when he doesn't quite or she doesn't quite understand what God is doing because he leads you to God's word, not your own. Do you catch that? If you want relief, allow the Spirit to lead you to God's word, not your own. Most of us struggle with anxiety and struggles because we believe our own words, our own thoughts, or thoughts of somebody else. The Spirit of God leads you back to the word and you're relieved of those things. Amen? Last thought, number six. The illustration of Elijah and the necessity of Christ's death. The necessity of Christ's death. Verses 11 through 13. And they asked him, saying, Why is it that the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he said to them, Elijah does come first and restore all things. And yet, ooh, here we go. See this? How is it written of the Son of Man that he will suffer many things and be treated with contempt. But I say to you that Elijah has indeed come, and they did not, they did, excuse me, and they did to him whatever they wished, just as it was written about him. Well, the disciples were still quite not ready to accept the death of Christ in this moment right here. They still had high hopes for the kingdom but they didn't count the cost for the kingdom yet. So in verse 11, they ask a very good question. Why is it that the scribes, this is what they would have learned in rabbinical schools and and hearing the teaching out of the synagogues, why is it that scribes say that Elijah must come first? Well, that's a great question because that's what the Bible says. Malachi 3.1, Behold, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the host of the Lord. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, a voice calling, Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth the deserts of a highway for God. And then the very last, right at the end of the last words of God that came from the last Old Testament prophet, uh, prophet Malachi 4 5 behold I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord so the disciples they're they're absolutely convinced that Jesus was the Messiah now they've seen this on the mountain but the problem was where is Elijah we've seen him on the mountain but why isn't he here with us now they're, they're struggling to put together this rabbinical this uh, scribes teaching with what's happening in life now jesus look what he does verse 12 jesus says you're right you're right elijah must come first before the messiah and prepare all things for his coming he's speaking literally isn't he but then he puts in this little section and i want i don't want you to miss this there's something you're overlooking How is it written that the Son of Man, that term comes right out of Daniel chapter 7, that he will suffer many things and be treated with contempt? See, you know what he's doing? He's making them think biblically. See, there's passage after passage saying that 
whoever this Messiah is, he is going to suffer greatly. But they didn't want that. So when you don't want something, you don't read that, right? Advertising works really good with this. Let me give you for a few chapters that the Lord could have brought up to them. How about Psalms chapter 16, verse 14? I am poured out like water. All of my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melting within me. My strength is dried up like a pot shear. My tongue cleaves to my jaw, and you have laid me in the dust of the death. The dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers have encompassed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and they stare at me. They divide my garments among them for my clo- and cast lots for my clothes. Who is that? Isaiah 53. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hid their face, he was despised and he did, we did not deceive him. Surely our griefs he himself bore, our sorrow he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him strict and smitten of God, I mean struck by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him and he was scourged. For our healing. If that's not enough, Zechariah chapter 10, 12, verse 10, they will look, speaking of Israel, the last remnant that's left after two-thirds of Israel has been wiped out, this, this remnant will look, and it says, they will look upon me whom they pierced, and they will mourn for me. They will mourn for him, the, the, the prophet writes, and as one mourns for an only son, and they will weep bitterly over him like the weeping of bitter over a firstborn. You see what Jesus is doing in verse 12? Yeah, Elijah's coming. That means the kingdom's coming. But what do you do with these suffering passages? I think this is fascinating. He's taking these men to what he's been telling them. I have to die. You keep thinking of the grand kingdom. Where is no kingdom till I die? You need to deal with the text. He makes them go to the text. What do you do with what is written about the Son of Man? I think the light probably came on as the Spirit fell upon them um, between the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the pronouncing of the new church, of the, of the beginning of the church. I think it came upon them and they said, This is what all those passages were about. This day you can ask Jewish leaders what, who Isaiah 53 is about. They do not have an answer for you. We know it's who. Christ. Who is Psalm 16 about? Christ. Who is Zechariah 12, 10 about? Christ. And yet those passages are overlooked. And so if you overlook the truth of Christ's gospel, isn't that what we're talking about? If you overlook the truth of Christ's gospel and you just want all the good stuff, sound familiar in religious circles today? You will miss him and you'll never be in the kingdom. And so Jesus says, men, this is paramount. This is paramount. You must understand these things. It's important. Think biblically. Think about my words that have been written down for you to understand. And then verse 13 as we close. But I say to you that Elijah has come indeed. And they did to him whatever they wished just as it was written of him. And certainly he just says, look, he has come. Luke chapter 1 verse 17. Zechariah is in the temple, right? 
performing his duties as, as a high priest for that year, the angel of the Lord meets with him and says, you're going to have a son. He goes, well, I'm barren. My wife can't have children. You're going to have a son, and he's going to make way to, pre- for, make way to pass for the Lord. You're going to name him John, so forth. He doesn't believe it for a minute. He loses his speech, right? This is exactly what God was talking about. And so the Lord Jesus says, look, he's already here. And there's some striking comparisons. They're both powerful preachers, Elijah and, and John the Baptist. They dealt really strictly with sin. They dressed alike. They ate alike. They wouldn't compromise. And even when, Jesus, when they asked who Jesus is, some of them said Elijah and some of them said John the Baptist. Isn't that amazing? But... Matthew chapter 17, verse 13, the Bible says the disciples knew Jesus was talking about John the Baptist. So, here in verse 13, to sum up this little passage, Jesus is saying, look, there's a forerunner. He's already here. He's John the Baptist. And now I've got to die, and I'll be resurrected. And then, then, Elijah will come again. But John himself in John chapter 1 verse 21 said, I am not Elijah. The real Elijah is still to come. There is a coming of, of, of Jesus back. He will set his kingdom on earth. That's all to come. But he said, look, to pave the way for me has been done by John the Baptist. So just like the early church, we too believe in a double fulfillment here. We believe that Elijah will once again return and prepare the way for the second coming of Christ. But this time, oh, he's coming in judgment. Way different. First time he came to die. So, let me close with just a couple of thoughts. Have you seen the glory and power of the resurrected Savior? Everyone needs to ask that question of themselves. Have I seen, through the word of God, do I believe in the fact that Jesus is God? He is the bright and shiny one. He shares the glory of God. He is my only hope. He is the only one who can save me. Do you believe that? you understand that is he your salvation is your daily strength or are you looking for something else like peter james and john were looking for and then if you're a believer let me just give you a a few things just to encourage you christ is reigning over his spiritual kingdom we said this last week he does have a spiritual kingdom we're in it we're given armor we're sent out with messages we're in the spiritual kingdom And yes, we believe his physical kingdom will come, but we hold to the fact of spiritual kingdom. So Christ is reigning. This is good news. He's still with you today. He's still coming back. Your sins are still forgiven, past, present, and and future. He's, He's still keeping every promise. Every promise. And you are still the Father's child. Nobody can take you from his arms and finally he has more children and he's after them he knows who they are and he enlists us to help find them preach the gospel to yourself and to those around you amen oh father i'm exhausted this is an amazing text lord i think i could live in it for for days upon days, Lord, to see your glory and see who you are and yet know that you have written things down for us to know and understand this event through your word. And here we are, hundreds of Christians in this room have Bibles on our laps, Bibles in our house and on our phones, Lord. Help us to treasure the word of God. 
And Lord, I pray that it will lead us each and every time back to this resurrected Savior to put our hope in the Lord Jesus Christ and that he did die and he did resurrect from the dead. He did beat sin, Satan, and devil, Lord. And we are his children. And there is no man, no kingdom of earth that could ever take us from his arms, Lord. So, Lord, may that motivate us to run for him and look for others that he's drawing into his family, Lord. Lord, thank you for your word. It strengthens us, encourages us. Blessings, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.